0: 60 million lives have been lost due to abortion. Millions of mothers led astray by the abortion industry. Divorce, sex trafficking, and infertility are at an all-time high. Entering into a movement where this is the evil we face can seem extremely difficult. But I believe that great change is simply a series of small things done consistently. Together, we will learn how to do the small things for the pro-life movement. And together we will end abortion one baby step at a time i'm your host hope and this is the simply pro life podcast hello everybody and welcome to the simply pro-life podcast i am your host hope um i apologize for any background noise because it is landscaping day in my neighborhood so you know that's really nice and helpful Um, but today is our first episode with this new podcast and I'm really excited about it Um, and I thought what better way to kick off the show than to have my grandma on so my grandma is Ann Scheidler married to the late Joe Scheidler so she is the league's now president and she has had involvement with the pro movement since I think 1972 right because you guys went to that rally Okay. We'll talk a bit about that in a second. She worked alongside my grandpa for a very long time and began to work part-time in the 1990s. Then eventually the position became full-time and she served as the executive director, which I did not know from 2000 until 2009. And then she served as vice president from then until my grandpa passed away back in 2021 and is now the president of Action League. She is closely involved with all aspects of the league's work for public relations and development to activism and outreach. She also holds a bachelor's degree from Mundelein College and is the mother of seven, including the league's now executive director, Eric Scheither, my uncle. And she has 26 grandchildren and three uh, great grandchildren.
1: 27. Grand- 27, 27 now. We got to <laughs> update that. Yeah, yeah. In the last month, we got number 27.
0: Number 27. And then you have yep. two more great grandchildren on the way. So,
1: right.
0: needless to say, you're pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, my first question for you is. Now, back in 1972, you guys went to that rally. You'll yeah. have to tell me more about that. But I want to know, what was your first real tug to get involved in the pro-life movement?
1: Well, actually involved in the pro-life movement would be the Roe decision. Although we had, you know, gotten gotten acquainted with it a few months prior to that. There had been attempts to to liberalize abortion in Illinois. And we had just kind of peripherally gotten involved in in supporting the pro-life efforts. But the the real impetus was the Roe decision, because I happened to be pregnant with your mom at the time that that decision came down. And I was just horrified that our government, United States of America, didn't recognize my child as being worthy of legal protection, that it wasn't, she didn't matter un, unless I wanted her. And which of course I did. <laughs> but no one's... um no one's value should depend on being wanted even if it's the mom that's the that's the issue so that that was the thing that just really drew me into how can we fight this what can we do to to change this because it's wrong it's not american it's not it's not christian it's not right in any way so
0: that's very cool so then grandpa started full-time after my mom was born in may so the Roe decision came down in january and he went full-time in may did you work alongside him or were you, you know, more the stay-at-home wife and he worked? Or... Uh,
1: well, he was working out of our porch at the time. Um, <laughs> we had a screened-in porch on our house and just set up shop um, out there because it was summertime. And, you know, you could be, uh, the, the, the porch was covered. If it was raining, it had some canvas uh, screens that could be pulled down so you could be out there if it was raining. So, so for the rest of the summer that's that's what we did and then I I helped him with um, trying to figure out ways to raise funds and to get the word out get people interested. other people didn't seem to be particularly interested and we were really surprised about that. We expected a really big backlash from uh, from the church, from friends, from family. Uh, we figured everybody else would feel the same way but people weren't paying much attention. It was a real. Real uphill battle right from the beginning. Even people who would be pro-life, you know, who would, well, in those days it was called anti-abortion, would um, <laughs> be against abortion to to take it seriously and do something about it. One of Grandpa's um, uncles, who had a, a considerable amount of money, he went to him to ask him to, to help fund, and his attitude was, "Well, the kind of people who have abortions aren't worth bothering with. They're riffraff. Don't don't uh, don't get involved."
0: Oh. So it, was it wasn't kind of even a, that he was pro-choice. It was so the opposite side, but to an extreme. Yeah. Huh. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, he he was, you know, a practicing Catholic, but compassion didn't seem to be part of. <laughs> Not part of that. His understanding of, of uh, your Christian beliefs. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, those people aren't worth it. Their kids won't be worth it. Well, this is apparently an attitude that is pretty pervasive and has continued to be pretty pervasive. That the people who choose to have abortions, they would have made terrible parents. Their kids would have grown up to be terrible. And so therefore, who cares? Uh, Which is not the pro-life movement's attitude at all.
0: No, not at all. (laughs) So you guys faced a lot of struggle in the very beginning. And then from there, it didn't seem to get easier. Um, because then you guys went, no. you guys got sued by the National Organization for Women.
1: Right. Yeah. That was in 1986, uh, because we were doing a lot of protesting at abortion clinics, training other people on um, outreach to women that are going in for an abortion, trying to lead them, lead women to go to the crisis pregnancy centers instead of having an abortion. And the abortion industry decided that we were interfering with their profits, Um which hopefully we were. Yeah, that would be a good thing. <laughs> we're really happy to t- take re- credit for that. Um, but they they looked into the laws and decided we were interfering with interstate commerce. And then beyond that, we were orchestrating a huge racketeering scheme to threaten pro- li- uh, uh, pro-abortion centers and um, make them af- afraid to operate. So that was the basis of their um, lawsuit. And they won in the trial court. Uh, after a seven-week trial. They won in uh, 1998 was when the trial actually happened. So we had to do appeal to the appellate court and ultimately the Supreme Court, and we won twice in the Supreme Court.
0: So a couple losses, but then you end up winning and everything. That's yes. crazy. Did you know there are two things you can do in the next 30 seconds to help end abortion? Yep, and I'm going to tell you. The first is sharing this podcast. I encourage you to share this podcast with a friend, somebody who's pro-choice, or even to your social media. Sharing this podcast with more people makes it so that they can hear these amazing stories and that they can get involved and that they can hear simple ways that they can help end abortion. The second thing you can do to help end abortion is to leave a rate in review. For some reason, the algorithm likes it when people leave more rates and reviews, and so it'll push it out once that is done. So I encourage you, leave a rate and review so that we can reach more people with the message that is, we can end abortion one baby step at a time. Alrighty, back into the episode. How has this activism that you and grandpa have you know, been involved with, how has that impacted your life, like married life, life with your kids, as a grandma, or just as an individual?
1: You know, really a a huge impact. The life that we, we thought we were leading in 1972, prior to the Roe decision, was a pretty ordinary American family. Uh, grandpa was working for a PR firm. I was uh, a stay-at-home mom, little kids going to the park, playing, getting together with friends, doing ordinary things at the parish. Perfectly uh, unremarkable, I guess you'd say, but relatively easy existence. Once we got involved in the pro-life movement, that all changed. Um, And some of it was really good and some of it was really hard. Uh, We've, over the... 50 years involvement met absolutely the cream of the crop of, of people in the world. Um, and no matter where you go, real life people are just the best. They're very giving. They're, they're so compassionate. Um, they tend in general to be fairly joyful, although you have a few curmudgeons here and there. But, <laughs> um, you know, getting to know people who are willing to sacrifice a lot to help someone they don't know. And someone that, as far as the children go, someone they will never, probably never meet, you know, once in a great while you meet somebody that was saved because of something you did um, at, at an abortion clinic or something that someone read that you wrote or or heard. Uh, but for the most part, you're not helping somebody that you've encountered, in, you know, that, that uh, can be grateful or something, you're helping these strangers. But the, then on the other side, you're also meeting a a lot of uh, opposition and opposition from people who you thought would be on your side is more difficult to to deal with than opposition from people that obviously have a different viewpoint than we have. Um, I know it was really quite difficult for our kids to be singled out as the one whose father was that crazy guy that's always on TV talking against abortion, because sad to say, many of the people in our churches are not on board. They would would encounter taunts and remarks from from kids they went to school with, whose parents were clearly pro-abortion, even though they were kids going to a Catholic school. It was difficult for them to to be singled out and highlighted, not because of you know some huge talent their dad had but because he championed life we would love to think that everybody w- would be on board with that but they're not you know. was it
0: more of a taboo subject back you know when you guys first got started because i feel like now yeah. everyone talks about the abortion movement whether they're pro-life or pro-choice was it more hush-hush but you know
1: but- yeah it was a much more difficult topic to broach um people didn't want to talk about it if they did they wanted to seem like they were um up to date and so they'd be pro abortion because this is women's rights feminism was all you know the the popular the popular theme of the day and that was perceived by the general public as being a pro woman point of view even though those of us who have been involved a long time know how to, how just really tragic abortion is for women and how it is not improve women's lives in any way
0: yeah no not at all it's yeah it's really devastating how it's been so twisted like you know people who don't really I mean I I used to talk to you know people mostly in theater and things like that and and it would be something where they were like oh well I'm just pro-choice because that is you know if I'm a woman like I have to be pro-choice and you know I get comments all the time being like "Well, well you're fighting against your own rights and it's really confusing because to me I don't view it as like a good thing to be able to have the right to murder my own children if I were to ever, you know, get pregnant. Yeah. And it's really backwards. And and I think that's the culture that we have to, you know, really work hard to fight, which, yeah. you know, yeah. you guys have for so long. Were there ever any major losses with the activism that you guys were involved in?
1: Well, besides our loss in the trial court. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, how big of a loss was that? Like, was that, you know, was it just, I mean, I don't know too much about it. You know, what was it more? Uh, well, like-
1: actually, if if we had not um, ultimately won at the Supreme Court, it would have been truly devastating. We would have lost our home for one thing um, because we were we were being charged what they call damages, about three hundred thousand dollars that was assessed at the time that we'd have to pay the abortion industry, the National Organization for Women and the, the general class of abortion clinics, they tried, the lawyers for the, the NOW organization, tried to add a whole lot more money to that, but they didn't get it in in time in the court and the judge denied it. So it would have been way, way over a million dollars if they'd succeeded in, um, in in what they wanted. Their idea was to put us out of business, to make a, an example of the Pro-Life Action League and Joe Scheidler so that other people would be afraid to go out and do activism, and to some some significant, um, you know, effect that did work. That people were afraid to go out and and be activists after that case. In, in order to appeal the case, we had to put up that is put um, pledge that amount of money to the court. Well, we did not have three hundred thousand dollars, and we couldn't find anybody willing to loan it to us because they were afraid they'd lose it. They figured we were gonna lose ultimately. So the only thing left to do was to use our house as collateral. And uh, all legal experts advised, don't ever do that. But Grandpa and I felt there wasn't really any choice and that we didn't wanna let the Pro-Life Action League be destroyed. It would have been destroyed. They would have taken everything. So that's what we did. And so for the next several years, we, we our house was essentially held by the court for the National Organization for women we weren't even allowed to make any improvements or repairs without the uh, uh, approval and permission of the National Organization for women and we lost at the appellate level uh, and continued on to the Supreme Court so it was it was a big deal when we won in the Supreme Court and were therefore able to maintain living in our house. Yeah. But we were willing to give it up and we had decided it would be kind of cool to live on the west side of Chicago if we lost the house. And my mother always used to say, Well, what are you going to do if you lose? And I'd say, Well, I'll move into your house. And she laughed. Laugh. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, mom.
0: <laughs> yeah. How many kids do you have did you have at the time? Did you have all seven by the time by the time of the trial? Yes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. so a lot of them were still living at home. So, homes,
1: so right? some some were you know in in college or done with college. So there were just a couple of kids living at home at that point.
0: Okay. That sounds really scary. So how did you guys, you know, like push through that? Cuz I feel like it would just have been easier, which I know is not the point, but I I feel like it would have been easier to just not do activism after that. Like why did you guys continue to do activism after something like that?
1: Well, we really believed in it. Um, you know, there are a lot of other ways to approach the pro-life movement and there's, there's of course the pregnancy centers that are actively giving help to women there's the lobbying groups that in got involved themselves with laws and legal pursuits and things um but we really believed in the express your views in the public square thing and being out at the places where the abortions are happening direct intervention to try to let women know that there's help for them a lot of women don't realize there's pregnancy centers available so we, we really believed in it and we also knew that there were thousands of people praying for us people would tell us that all the time and you can really feel that when when people are taking the time out to pray that things go well for you or that you get a good outcome you know um so that's a huge help and little by little i mean it's it's a day-by-day thing it doesn't happen overnight so you you discover you sort of become detached from needing things. When when we were like the 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 week after we lost in the um in the trial court, uh, Grandpa and I were out for a walk. Uh, we had gone to a on a Holy Thursday tour of churches, and one of the, one of the churches was out uh, Notre Dame. It's a French church out on the west side of Chicago, West Loop. We decided to go out there just for a walk because it's kind of a cool, different neighborhood. And there was this, almost a freeing feeling about the fact that, okay, you know, we could very easily lose our house, but this is a great view from out here on the west side. It'd be kind of cool to get a little apartment out there and, um, you know, do something t- entirely different, which, of course, we didn't end up doing, but... It sounds like that would be something that you'd feel sad about, but we didn't. It was it was okay. It was going to be okay if we ended up losing. Uh, at, at one point during the, that whole time, I started to clean out closets because I thought, well, if we're going to have to move, it's going to be a big job to get rid of all this stuff because we lived in this house a long time. So I only got through one closet, I have to say, because I, <laughs> I wasn't all that organized about it. But it really felt good to get rid of stuff. Oh, it feels
0: so good. I love getting rid of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So it did some good. It it caused you to declutter your house a bit and everything. A little
1: bit, a little bit. Yeah. 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 And you realize stuff doesn't really matter. You know, we've got great family. We've got, you know, great colleagues and friends in the pro-life movement. We really believed that we were doing God's will and that's what matters.
0: So it it was not necessarily easy to push through, but it was something worth fighting for because you believed in it so deeply and you had, by this point, it sounds like you had a lot more support than when you guys started. Am I?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Actually, the National Organization for Women, they intended to put us out of business, but because we got so much attention over this lawsuit, it was the first time that the racketeering law was used against a social protest group. We got so much attention, media attention and attention from people who were on board on the pro-life movement that we got a whole lot more donations. And we've been hoping for years to do a video on sidewalk counseling and never had the money. But the lawsuit brought in the money and we were able to do that video. So, you know, how God will take things that the the enemy means for for ill and turn it around. And we were able to go ahead and and do a lot of good. That sounds really cool that
0: yeah yeah i, I guess i never like kind of click those pieces together and everything and so ultimately yeah. despite the fact that those years that you were you know in the supreme court and everything and, and dealing with that lawsuit were those years really tough
1: they really were not we went on our business just as usual it we went we you know there'd be great big lags because everything in a court takes forever and our lawyer believed that the longer you draw something out better your outcome is going to be so although it you know it sounds terrible that it went on for a total of 28 years by the time we got some kind of it was 28 years 28 years time now was forced to pay our um expenses of the trial itself and that to get them to do that took until yeah another eight years beyond the actual victory uh so it sounds like you're living with this thing for all that time but the, the reality is that weeks and weeks and weeks and months go by that nothing happens so the only really intense piece was the trial um the seven week trial
0: wow okay i guess i i mean i i knew i guess i knew that it went on from like you know around 1980 to like early 2000s but cuz when i was working at the league for that you know period of time i was going through all these files and it was just you know, now be shied there, and I guess it never clicked to me how long that was. But ultimately, a victory. So, you know, and yeah. brought the league a lot of good. So then, in the early two thousands, you took over as executive director. Is that true? Uh,
1: well, no, Grandpa was always the um, uh, the person in charge. Um, was it around? I can't remember if if it was around that time that Eric also joined because um, he had he had just become executive director or maybe it was director of communications but pretty much doing a lot of the work when the, when he moved to Aurora and the plan Planned Parenthood had built its first mega clinic in Aurora so that was a whole new episode of really really visible activism we got a phone call from One of our lawyers saying that he got a phone call from his priest who had gotten, I think a a carpenter, had come to him to say, I think I'm building an abortion clinic. It has bulletproof glass and all these recovery rooms, and it just seems really suspect. And so we called, Grandpa called Eric, who lived in Aurora, and said, this guy thinks that they're building an abortion clinic. Could you go take a look? Because Planned Parenthood was lying to get into the abortion, the Aurora property. They were
0: lying to the the <clears throat> property owners, or they were lying to the people working on.
1: Um, to everybody, to the village of Aurora, to the state of Illinois, nobody knew what this building was for. The big sign on the building was Genesis Office Development, and as we looked in, well, Eric, Eric went out and took a look. He called and said, "No, it can't possibly be. It's way too big." It's probably more of an office complex or a general medical center. But as it turned out, Planned Parenthood, had they had incorporated a different name when they got a permit to use the property. They had told the city of Aurora that um, they didn't know who the occupants were going to be, it was supposed to be a for-profit entity that would bring taxes into the city of Aurora. Everything about it. They lied, which is quite typical of Planned Parenthood.
0: Why did they um, feel the need to lie, especially in Illinois? Was Illinois not as pro-choice at one point?
1: Um, they knew that the pro-lifers would come out and oppose them, and they didn't want to face that. Oh. So although this, you know the, the state would ne- never have denied them the right, and the city would probably not have denied them the right. Although, because technically Planned Parenthood is, is a nonprofit, so they don't pay taxes, so possibly Aurora would have been like, oh, we'd rather not have this huge piece of property, not bringing any tax revenue into the city. So maybe we won't give you a permit to build.
0: I can't believe but. they don't pay taxes. I feel like there's.
1: I know because they're a billion dollar outfit. <laughs> I know. It's,
0: it It seems like they're for profit. It, it just seems a little a little suspicious, I guess. And so, yeah, that's. That is crazy. So that is the Planned Parenthood and Aurora that we go and protest at, right?
1: Yeah, that was the very first of their mega abortion clinics. They've built a ton more of them around the country since then. Um, But that was the first one. And we mounted a major protest and got tons of media attention all over the country for it.
0: So, so we did find out ultimately their, you know, plan to yeah. tell these lies and, and they The
1: director of Illinois Planned Parenthood was quoted in the Tribune as saying, "Frankly, I'm surprised we were able to keep it quiet for so long. They knew oh. that they were trying to keep it secret."
0: Oh my goodness! <laughs> okay, so now they face a lot of protesting because we continue to protest at that Planned Parenthood to this day. Yeah, and uh, several the, times a year, the, the churches
1: in Aurora are very. Um, very dedicated. They have people out there praying and counseling uh, pr- pretty much every time the place is open, which is almost every day.
0: Wow. So, wow. Yeah, that is crazy.
1: That's, that's a great effort. Unfortunately, that's not the case at most abortion clinics. Most of them around the country don't have a pro-life presence. So, um, you know, that that's something that needs to change.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and a huge pro-life presence at, at each clinic. I mean, I was, I feel like, I think it was in the unplanned movie. They were talking about how, you know, there's this dirty little secret that Planned Parenthood doesn't want you to know that about like 70, maybe percent of, you know, scheduled abortions, um, you know, are just no-shows when there are people praying outside. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and in it, addition, it throws the staff into kind of a uh, mode of of irritability and anxiety. Everything gets, takes longer, is slowed down because people are, are just... Um, they're more nervous because this life is out front.
0: Yeah. So if there was that presence at, at clinics, you know, more often, I mean, you know, I, I guess the math, if the math checks out, you know, 70% of abortions would decrease, um, which would be crazy. People
1: are afraid to come out because the media tends to present pro-life activists as violent, um, as shouting at the women and stuff. And so, and they, a lot of people think it's illegal because of the various lawsuits and things that have gone against pro-lifers. It's not illegal to go out and, um, and protest or counsel or pray in front of an abortion clinic. As long as you're on public property, it's a constitutional right. And um, even, even people who understand that it's a constitutional right, it feels, outside their comfort zone. Um, I've done it so long that I I can't imagine th- th- that people would be so hesitant to exercise yeah. their rights but um,
0: well even just like knowing your rights like I was at the community college up near me, you know a couple people probably factorists from you know our area. Uh, we're doing this kind of outreach at the community college, which, mind you, is so liberal. Mm-hmm. And they they were doing some outreach, and they had like a ton of flyers to like pass out to the students and things like that. And I was there passing stuff out, and the lady at the community college came up to us and was telling us, you know, you can't approach the students, you can't pass out literature if they come to you. That's fine. You can't congregate together. You can't have more than two people because of the freedom table that we have at clc you can only have two people and i was like this doesn't sound right i've worked along (laughs) the side probably faction league for so long i'm like there is no way this is right so i thought that i knew my stuff but i call uncle eric just to like you know, make sure and everything. And he tells me that it is a community college. So it is, you know, public property. We have the right to um, free speech, to hand out literature. You know, we can offer people our brochures. They don't have to take it. They can tell us no. no it's not like we're no. shoving it down their throat or into their purse or something like that, or in their backpack. And that, you know, there is no reason that we, you know, there are maybe 10 pro-lifers there. We can't congregate and, and talk. It's not like they're going and splitting up every student group. So I went over to the lady um, who was yelling at us, telling us all this stuff. And I, I was a little shaky, but I, I, my, my kind of perspective is got, is kind of like, it's gotta be a whole lot more uncomfortable to be literally murdered in the womb. So I can handle, (laughs) I can handle standing up to somebody who works at a community college. So I tell her, you know. This is our constitutional right. We can hand out the literature. Also, are you going and breaking up every single student section who's talking and like congregating together? No. So you can't break us up either. Um, And I can, you know, hand out literature. They don't have to take it. I also don't have to be associated with this table. I can just decide to do it on my own because this is, you know, a, a, you know, public, public space. And she was so shocked that I said anything that I and that you I knew, knew anything <laughs> that, that I, yeah that I that I knew my rights or was r- reminded by my uncle my rights and and that I was bold enough to say something and she left us alone for the you know she was nagging us every five minutes and 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 so it, it kind of goes to show that if you know yourself and you're confident in what you're saying, people will have no choice but to leave you alone because I think that there is a level of respect to confidence <laughs> Guys, it is so important that we do the simple things for the pro-life movement. One simple thing that you can do today is supporting this show. There are a couple ways to do that. The first is leaving a rate and review. The second is sharing it with your friends and family. And the third is donating to the show. In the description of the show, there is a link that you can click on that allows you to make a donation. All of these things help me a ton with being able to share this show with more people, getting more people involved in the pro-life movement, and ultimately ending abortion. I want to thank you all for your generosity. It means a lot to me. And now, back into the episode. Next question, we got two more questions, is what do you want to see happen in the future of the pro-life movement?
1: Well, of course, we do want to see ultimately that that all life is protected in law. And um, the, the other night I, I was at a dinner that was honoring Professor Robert George, who's a law professor at Princeton University. He was being honored for his pro-life work um, by um, um, a, a group at Notre Dame University. And the beginning of his talk, he said something that I, I guess I never heard it. Phrased this way before, but that the Roe decision in 1973 kind of absolved people, regular us, uh, other people, from their responsibility to care for the vulnerable and the at-risk people in our midst, because now abortion became a choice, and so it's not the the um, responsibility of other Christian people or American people or just other people to care about that that child that was conceived uh, in an inconvenient time or in an inconvenient way. It's the mother's problem entirely, and she can take care of that by having an abortion. Because basically, as Christians, we have a responsibility to take care of those people in our midst who can't care for themselves, or who have nobody to care for them. But once you make it a choice that they can simply be eliminated, then our obligation to care is taken away. And that's a terrible thing for society. So now we tend to feel like you, you don't have, you get rid of of children who, who are gonna be born with Down syndrome, for instance. Um, in some countries, it's practically been eliminated by killing all those children who are identified with Down syndrome before they're born. In America, about 10% of those kids end up getting born. I mean, that's a terrible thing to say to people, you don't matter to society. You have nothing to contribute. Your life is not worth anything. That can't help but be pushed onto other people with whatever level of disability or incompatibility or unlikability those people have. So we need to be reminded all of society needs to be reminded that we have an obligation to one another to care, not just to be nice to our own family or to care for people that are easy to hang out with and have fun with, but to care about people who don't have anyone and who may be really desperate, unhappy, abandoned. That th- There should be no people that are left to feel that way in a country with all of the riches that america has so not just protecting un- the unborn uh, protecting their lives and respecting their right to be born but their right to be welcomed into society and to be part of our, our, our american society
0: i like that a lot and it's a good reminder too of just like the value and you know we say all the time like oh you know i'm pro-life because you know, every human being has value and dignity and should be treated as such. But that goes beyond birth; that goes into every aspect of their lives. And I yeah. think it's important to kind of pause and ask yourself: You know, am I treating everyone I meet in my day to day life like I value and dignify them? Yeah.
1: I mean, um, how how would what would Jesus do? It's kind of a cute little catchphrase, but it's true.
0: Yeah, but, it you know, is. Jesus,
1: well, I mean, I I have this brand new granddaughter, um, Vianne, who is I think five weeks old now. Um, she's welcomed into a family that is crazy about children. And and she's an adorable little girl. Uh, we're all thrilled to death. And of course, you know, as, as the grandma, I want to say, well, you know, my grandchildren are special and they are like you. <laughs> <laughs> but so is every other child. And think of what the world would be like if all children were welcomed into the world the way little Vienna is welcomed into the world. It would be a whole different place, whole different place.
0: And it's a great reminder too. So my final question for you is what is something simple that people listening can do for the pro-life movement?
1: Well, I don't equate simple with easy. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: okay. (laughs) Uh,
1: And and I think to talk about it, to be willing to talk about it, to broach the subject, you know, you, you don't have to introduce it in every conversation. But in situations where it where the topic might come up, like when it's election season and certain candidates are uh, for abortion, uh, to be willing to say, well, let's let's take another look at that. You know, is that really what we want for our um, for our city or for our state or for our country? Wouldn't we like uh, a candidate who respects life at at every stage? Wouldn't that be better? Uh, Another thing I, I believe everybody should give some thought to coming out to pray at an abortion clinic. You know, you can ease into that by taking advantage of the 40 Days for Life campaigns because other people will be involved at the same time and you won't have to be out there by yourself. But we need more people to be coming out to the clinic. So take a little, little step outside your comfort zone and become comfortable with being more public.
0: Well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, being the first person on the show and everything kind of kicking it off. I think it was a good first, you know, episode and I'm really excited oh, about thanks. it. And, you know, it was really nice to sit down and actually talk and listen to all the different aspects of, you know, your personal activism and a little more on the league and everything. And over my trip to London, I'm going to read grandpa's book. So hopefully I'll learn oh, even more. Yeah,
1: I think you'll enjoy it. It's a great book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I read the first couple pages and and I like it, so I'm excited about it. But thank you so much uh, for coming on.
1: You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Simply Pro-Life podcast. If you like this episode, I encourage you to leave a rate and review and to share the episode. Also, feel free to follow me on social media. It is at Simply Pro Life on Instagram and at underscore Hope Miller on Instagram. If you want to get on the podcast or have any questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and shoot me an email. It is hope at simplyprolife.org. We'll see you again next week on the Simply Pro Life podcast.